This episode of the Bamboo Pastors Podcast has been brought to you by the Growth Center for Church and Mission. The Growth Center has established the Entrepreneurial Ministry Leader, a ministry ecosystem which brings together pastors, ministry leaders, and marketplace leaders who are finding creative ways to utilize their faith and their talents to bring the gospel to the cities and communities they live in. Check them out at thegrowthcenter.com. Welcome to the Bamboo Pastors Podcast, a podcast that explores the joys and challenges of being an English-speaking pastor in a Chinese church. I'm Jalen Chan, and I'm here with my co-host, John Mon. Hey, everyone. Together, we host the Bamboo Pastors Podcast. We're glad that you're here with us. Come on in and have a seat at the table. All right, we're back here on the podcast. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Jalen, how are you doing? It's good to see you. Good to hang out with you. Always good to see you too, John, and glad that we can uh, catch up. So uh, as you know, and as I've shared on the podcast before, I have a sabbatical coming up and I'm really excited about that. But part of the process, uh, you know, as I've been seeking pulpit supply uh, is, um, you know, getting our elder, one, the, the, the one elder that we have to preach. And so, um, you know, obviously we know that in First Timothy 3 and in Titus 1, that one of the requirements of elders is to be able to teach and to defend sound doctrine, right? And so, you know, of course, he's he's been a, a Sunday school teacher um, and he's uh, led, you know, Bible studies and small group and stuff like that. And he's actually preached before too, but this is first time, at, you know, as an actual installed elder where he's going to be preaching. And so I'm pretty excited for him. I know that he, you know, he's he's joked in the past that, uh, he needs about six months to prepare for a sermon. And so I, I've been working with him on just preparing him, getting him some notes and, you know, just kind of talking him through the process. And so that's fun for me just to, you know, come alongside him and, and walk him through the process. Cause you know, that's something that I love doing in ministry is, is preaching and uh, being able to develop other guys to do that is, is really a joy. And, uh, you know, I won't be there um, as he's preaching, but I'll certainly uh, be cheering him on and praying for him. So that's exciting. And he's, he's condensed it down now and that he doesn't take six months now. He's, he's got, I think three or four weeks to get ready for this sermon. So we'll keep him in prayer. How about you? How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing pretty well. You know, as you're describing just this process of, you know, helping your elders along to teach them to exercise this gift of teaching that they have, I think it's good that you're not just giving them the seven minute YouTube video of like, preaching for dummies. So are you, are you like handing them off some of your old books from college and from Moody, giving them the old Haddon Robinson <laughs> biblical preaching book or more practical hands-on stuff? Yeah. I mean, some of it is just answering any questions that he has. Right. Um, but then just, you know, kind of giving him a glimpse into sort of my process and uh, the way that I approach uh, preaching and then even just providing some of the, the resources that I use, uh, some of the commentaries that I'll use. And, you know, he's, he's got like a, he's already got some, some really good teaching skills. And so I think just honing those and, and helping him to, to apply that in, in the pulpit in a preaching style. So. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, for me uh, over here, this week has been pretty, you know, I just think we're we're gearing up for having people back in the building soon. Um, the state of California is about a month away from kind of like a full reopening or so they claim. So I think we want to be ready to receive people back. But on a on a separate note from that, uh, one of the one of the joys that I've had since getting here is just introducing the the church family that 
that is here in San Jose to some of the things that I really love about Chicago. And, and one of the ways I've been doing that is feeding people and specifically feeding them Chicago style hot dogs. So today I had the opportunity to, to share that with two more members of the church staff. And so I'm just slowly making my way uh, through the church staff, sharing that delicious joy with them. And uh, Lord willing, I will convert all of them to the wonders of the Chicago style hot dog with no ketchup. That's some, that's some good missionary work, John. <laughs> that's right. Hey, when you got good news, you got to share it, right? That's right. <laughs> so on that note and my deep love for Chicago, uh, I'm just excited for our guest today because as much as I love Chicago style hot dog, I do love our guest even more. So today we have uh, James Lee on with us. James is the youth pastor at Wellspring Alliance Church. And uh, Wellspring is actually the church that was right next door to my previous church in Wheaton. And so James and I were ministry neighbors. Our church parking lots were connected and I would regularly walk over to Wellspring just to hang out with him. We'd go grab meals together. So James, this just feels like, you know, another Wednesday at Katie's Dumpling, except we're on Zoom and there's no food, but just as good is the chance to hang out with you. So welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's good to see you guys. It's high praise that, John, you've placed me slightly above the Chicago hot dog. I, I'm pretty proud of myself right now. Excellent. Can you tell that I haven't had dinner yet? <laughs> yeah, I mean, nothing Nothing really beats a Chicago hot dog in that that super bright green relish, right? Like that's that's, right. that's the stuff right there. Radioactive. Yeah. <laughs> but it's good to see you guys. Good to see you too. Good to see you too, James. Glad that you're here. Uh, as you're joining us, can you briefly share uh, just your ministry journey, uh, your calling into uh, being a youth pastor, and then also just a little bit about Wellspring, just describe, because it's, I, I think, a unique story, but could you share a little bit about your yeah. calling and then a little bit about your church? So, you know, um, it was it was a pretty quick, quick development um, moving from my conversion to calling. So, you know, I had my first real encounter with the Lord uh, in the end of the year 2000. So December of 2000. Up until then, man, I was just, I was set on being an English teacher uh, in a high school. And, uh, and that's what I was planning on doing. Uh, and then I met the Lord, committed my life to him. And then by the end of uh, the school year in 2001, my youth pastor pulled me aside and said, hey, any interest in interning uh, for the youth group. And that was, uh, boy, that's almost 20 years ago. Yeah. And so I, I interned for one year and then I served at my home church for probably about five years, six years. And then I went to another church, uh, served as the junior high pastor there for about um, two years. And just, it was, it was a really rough experience. Um, I, I won't go into too many details, but I, I, I definitely had to take a, a long season of healing from that. Um, and then I ended up back in my home church for about another five years. Uh, and then in 2014, that's when I came to Living Water. So Living Water was a Pan-Asian, largely young adult, kind of 20s and 30s um, church plant. Um, and so I was there for about two years before we started this conversation of merging with this older, largely white Alliance Church in Wheaton called Blanchard. And uh, what was that? October 2015, 2016, something like that. We actually merged, uh, came together and developed into Wellspring. So Wellspring now is a multi-ethnic congregation. And uh, yeah, been serving there ever since. 
but yeah, the, the church, you know, it, it's, it's just a unique kind of experience. You know, I had worked in the Korean immigrant church my whole life. That's, that's the only type of church I had attended. And so when we merged, there was uh, a lot of conversations, a lot of preparations that had to be made. So what were some of the strengths and benefits you really saw as these two churches were merging together? I know that there were a lot of challenges, but what were some of the joys that came out of that season? Yeah, um, there were a lot of challenges. It, it was really hard. It's still really hard. Um, I think anytime uh, you start to move into a multi-ethnic congregation, it, it's difficult because, you know, for the most part, when two congregations come together and merge, it's usually more of like an adoption where one church kind of takes in the, the smaller or younger church and, and one culture usually wins. But the conversation that we've really been focusing on is instead of pursuing this as like an adoption model, pursuing it more like a marriage model, where it's two people, two groups coming together and forming an entirely different culture, not really being intentional and not letting either uh, culture really dominate. And so that's been really hard, but man, you know, there's, there's been a lot of blessings that have come out of that. You know, uh, I think one small picture of that is just a couple of weeks ago, about a week and a half ago, I was taking my kids out. Uh, we were, they're riding their bikes while I was chasing them. And, uh, and we have uh, some church members who uh, live probably about 10 houses away from us. They're older, they're white, they're probably uh, 60s, 70s, right around there. And uh, we saw them and they started talking to my kids and we, we ended up just watching this older white couple talk to my six-year-old and three-year-old for like half an hour. And like, you know, growing up outside of my friends, the only older Caucasian people that I have usually interacted with were people who were in positions of power. So like teachers, you know, principals, bosses, things like that. But there's just this really sweet blessing that my kids can interact with people who look entirely different from them outside of this power structure, you know? And yeah, it was just a really sweet moment. And I don't think that would have been possible outside of this church merge and this multi-ethnic community. And so, you know, that's, that's some of the blessings that have been coming out, right? Um, it's the maturity of the older group really kind of taking the younger group under their wing and then the energy of the younger group really revitalizing uh, the older church. And so uh, it's, it's been a good journey. It's been tough, but, but it's been good. Yeah, I think that's a beautiful picture as you're describing, you know, very tangibly how you see that affect your family. And especially sort of the season that we're in now as a country, I think it, it reminds us that truly the hope for the world uh, is Jesus. And it's through the good news of the gospel. And it's, um, and the church has, has that answer. Right. And, you know, I, I think of just the reconciliation and, and the work that, that we can accomplish by the power of Christ. Yeah. And just the relationships that that allows for, you know, there's this one Alliance pastor who said change comes at the pace of relationships. Hmm. And, and, and I thought that that was that's such a, a wise word there, you know, and, and, um, and we are seeing change. We are able to have these really difficult conversations, really allowing, you know, just a couple of weeks ago, we had a lament service for our Asian uh, American congregants and to allow people of, of different skin colors to come around them and pray for them and lament with them and to have 
you know, direct conversations and not have to lean on media, right, to, to capture a perspective. It's, it's just a really sweet thing. And I, I really do think if it wasn't for Jesus, I don't, I don't know if that really happens. So, yeah, you're totally right on that. So our listeners might be wondering right now, you know, why do we have James on the podcast <laughs> with us? Because clearly yeah. he doesn't work in a Chinese church, and this is a podcast focused on Chinese uh, church ministry. But I think one of the things that I really enjoyed and loved about our, our time together being neighbors is that we really fought to partner together. And, yeah. you know, that was cultivated over many years, which I think we're going to we're going to talk about it in just a moment. But one of the things that I've been thinking through is for you as a part of Living Water and then merging with Blanchard and becoming Wellspring, was there something about that merge, something about that history that kind of led you to seek other partnerships beyond just like the walls of your own church? Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, if I were to be really honest, not really, frankly, I, I, I don't know if it's really because of the merge that, that we've really pushed for partnerships. To me personally, I think the thing that really has pressed on me was Colossians 128, right? So him we proclaim, we want to present everyone mature in Christ. I've, I've you know, th- that one word mature really strikes me. And it's, and it's something that I've really been processing probably for, you know, more than the decade. And I think I, I think I'm starting to realize that maturity is not just teaching young people or people in general, the disciplines of following Christ, but it's also really giving them a clear vision of what this new earth, this, this heaven on earth would really look like. And I think that's why like partnerships are so vital because when you cross those cultural boundaries, right? That's when you really get a taste of what this new earth is going to look like. And that's such a key role in presenting everyone mature in Christ. I think everybody needs to experience those cross-cultural opportunities to worship together. And so to me, that's been much more of kind of a driving force. Um, I know, you know, growing up again in, in, in the Korean American church, like partnerships usually were limited to a handful of retreats here and there. It wasn't really like life on life type of partnerships and ministry. And, and John, I think, you know, I think some of the most important things that we did together were, were times when our youth groups came together and, and sat around a bonfire or mm. went on short-term missions trips together and connected deeply and served together and, and, and all of those things. And so, yeah, I, I wish that the Wellspring merge was, was really a catalyst for that, but honestly, it, it, it really wasn't. <laughs> can I ask, and maybe, maybe John, you can answer this as well, but how did that partnership start? Like, where did that begin? Cause obviously a lot had to do with your youth groups. And, and your personal relationship, but how, yeah, how did you guys start collaborating? What was, what does that partnership look like? I may not remember yeah. this perfectly well, cause it does feel like <laughs> it was quite a long time ago, yeah. but I think it actually started not with our youth groups partnering, but just the two of us. Yeah, um, I think sure. someone told me that James was like the new youth pastor at, at this church in Naperville. And it was part of the CMA. And we had at that time been organizing this network of Alliance churches from all over the Chicagoland area. And so I, I think we met up for coffee one day and just so. that coffee conversation turned into um, his youth group showing up for an event. And then as you know, we became more, f- more familiar with each other, we just realized we had, we shared a love for food. 
Uh, we do not have a mutual love for for certain sports teams, and I'll just leave it at that. But despite that difference, we might have to dig into that a little <laughs> bit at some point, just because listen, my teams always win. Anyways, yeah, keep that's going. fair. That's fair. <laughs> I'll give you that one. But you know, as I was saying, I think it was cultivated over, you know, just as our relationship, our friendship grew, then the partnership grew with it, right? Like it was easy to partner when we wanted to spend time together, which sounds like are we just doing this because we needed more opportunities to hang out? I mean, I think it was in spending time with one another that we really realized the value of, of serving alongside one another and, and that our youth groups are really, really different, right? Like I had a predominantly Chinese American youth group and he had one that was much more diverse. Uh, and yet our students tended to come from the same areas, but culturally could be really, really different. And so, yeah, I don't know, James, if you want to add any to the, anything to that. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I go back to, again, you know, um, change happened at the pace of relationships. And um, I know that when I was at Living Water, we did not partner often with anyone. I'm pretty sure that the Anglo church that we had merged with um, did, did not have a long history of partnering uh, with local youth groups. There might be some events that they attended, but for the most part, they kind of did their own thing. Um, but yeah, like John said, we, we started to develop a friendship and everything just kind of clicked from there and, uh, and it made it easy, you know. Now I feel like if we don't get together with, with, uh, with John's old church, it, our, our calendar year almost feels incomplete, you know. <laughs> so it's good. Yeah, and you, you kind of mentioned earlier too, I, I don't think we've really unpacked this, but that partnership at a youth group level, like, like at a ministry level, looked like a almost once a quarter, sometimes even more often than that, you know, combined gathering between our youth groups. It uh, We didn't start with a, a joint mission trip mm -hmm. between our two youth groups, but we definitely led towards it. Um, we served summer, you know, community ministries doing like uh, kids camp with your church. Actually, I think our youth groups ended up on the same plane together to a conference in Florida. That's right. And yeah. I just remember, James, like the two of us went early to that conference. <laughs> and we were just thinking, is this a good thing that our two youth groups, like probably close to 90 people between the two groups are going to be on the same flight together? I like I felt bad for the other, you know, two thirds of the plane back. Well, this was back when we could travel reasonably. But <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I think that's it, it just brought a lot of joy to see our youth group spending time together and building those relationships. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I wonder again, John, you can, you can chime in as well, but you know, for James, you know, having partnered well with John and, and kind of getting upfront and personal with the Chinese heritage church, what, what are some of the joys and challenges uh, to partnering with the Chinese heritage church? And Certainly, you can make it a little more personal and talk about John specifically uh, and his youth group, but just, but just more so in general, like what were some of the yeah. things that you really enjoyed or what were some of the things that you would say to a Chinese church, hey, like, here's something that you guys can think about, you know, as you do partner with other churches. You know, when our church, is, when, when my church, uh, when Living Water merged with Blanchard, I, I kind of oversaw all the youth there. As a minority, it was, it was a really hard transition for me. Yeah. I won't go into too many details, but it, it was really hard. It's still really hard to lead a, a multi-ethnic youth ministry. There, there's a lot of times where I just, I feel like I'm, I'm not at home. I'm not, 
you know what I mean? Like I'm still kind of a visiting youth pastor. Um, and, and a lot of that is just because the cultures are just so different. And so like when, you know, I first hung out with John and, and our youth group started getting together, I honestly felt so much more comfortable at Wheaton Chinese Alliance youth group than with my own youth group. Uh, just because, you know, th there are just so many shared experiences, similar cultural patterns, um, similar values that the Chinese church has with what I'm most familiar with, which is the Korean immigrant church, right? And so I think one of those um, really um, important things, one of the joys uh, is that the Chinese church has a really thick community and it's very family centric, not just family centric as though it's like a bunch of individual families, but the model of ministry is, is largely based like a family, you know, there's brothers, sisters, uncles, and, and all of that. And that's such a joy to see. I think faith formation is so important. Uh, and so uh, that family model of ministry is really just a hotbed for faith formation. It just comes so naturally, right? But that same joy is also probably one of the biggest challenges, right? Thick community can be really difficult to break into uh, when you're kind of on the outside. And it's, yeah, you know, like W.E.B. Du Bois, right? He talks about in the Black community, he talks about a dual consciousness, right? So uh, people who... Uh, know how to act or they act a different way when they're in majority culture and then they kind of switch it to a different consciousness when they're with their peers. In a similar but even more unique way, um, the immigrant Asian context almost has like a triple consciousness. So especially for those that are kids of first gen. So, so like myself, my parents immigrated here in 78. I was born in the U.S., born in Chicago, raised in Chicago, um, there's this triple consciousness. There's, I know I act a different way when I'm with the majority culture. And then I kind of flip the switch when I'm with, you know, only Korean people. And then I flip a third switch when I'm with my peers who are also second gen immigrants. And I think that's a large part of the reason why second gen, third gen churches still exist and are unique and special and should exist because it provides a lot of Asians an opportunity for them to have that third consciousness kind of in the works, right? That thick community is tied to that third consciousness. And so when you don't identify and you don't know how to act in that third consciousness and you can only resort in the first or second one, uh, it's it's really hard to break break into, uh, and I think that's one of the biggest challenges, right? It like uh, John, I don't know how you feel, but I feel like it it definitely took some time for our youth groups to come together, and even after five years partnering, there's still a, a ways to go for a group to really go deeper together. So yeah, I mean that's to me that's kind of the biggest challenge is just breaking in, you know. Absolutely, and I I think it it definitely goes both ways in the sense of we're talking about students who come from just really different cultural backgrounds. And there's just not a lot of places I feel like where, and especially in the church, but not a lot of places where they're encouraged necessarily to, to 
build those relationships in a, in a natural way. And mm -hmm. so it does take the hard work of, you know, fighting, fighting for those, those friendships and those relationships. Um, but I, I do sense that watching it unfold in front of us, that just brings so much joy to, to the kingdom because it, it's a reflection of who we're supposed to be, that we need mm -hmm. each other to, to really, you know, reflect Jesus to one another. And so I'm thankful for those partnerships. You know, I think one of the things that uh, I, I wanted to ask you about just as someone from, from the outside looking into the, into the Chinese Heritage Church and looking into our youth group, you know, for, for us, it, sometimes it's hard to, to see our own strengths and weaknesses because it just feels like normal. This is just church for us, you know? Um, and so from, from your perspective or your vantage point, were there any particular things that the, that the Chinese Heritage Church did well um, or any things that you felt like they really uh, needed to grow in? I know you talked already about the joys and challenges, but were there any like practical ministry things that, that you just noticed in the time that you interacted with us? I don't, I don't know if I would consider this a practical ministry thing, but one particular strength that I saw uh, that I noticed, especially in Chinese culture is, you know, amongst all the different Asian groups, it seems like to me, uh, Chinese culture does a particularly a uh, great job at preserving their culture um, and handing down language and um, handing down, you know, certain cultural uh, expectations and, and, and norms and things like that uh, to the next generation. But I think where culture and faith kind of meet is um, there's also, I think in that kind of that, that preservation I see faith really transferring from generation to generation in addition or side by side with that culture. And I think the Chinese church does that really well. Honestly, at least my experience in my own culture and the Korean culture, we don't necessarily do a great job of preserving that. And I think that has an effect on faith being passed on from parents to kids, you know, to me that that's one of the first things that I think of uh, when I look at like Wheaton Chinese um, Alliance Church, uh, the, the strength that you guys had that, that I really appreciate, you know, probably one of like the drawbacks. And I don't think this is unique to Chinese culture. It's probably more common just in the broad Asian spectrum is that shame honor culture and just how poisonous it is to faith, you know, um, especially that, that shame culture to me, like, you know, this is kind of something that I, I would want to say to all Asian churches is we need to deplete our culture of, of shame, you know, with the rise of like Asian American attacks and hate crimes and things like that. There's, uh, you, you know, like in New York city, just a, what, probably about a month ago, there's that 65 year old Filipino woman that was, was beat up in front of the hotel. It's terrible to see that. But the way that I process something like that, like, um, first, I, I mean, I, I lamented, I grieved it. But there was also part of me that uh, while I identified as a victim, I also identified as a perpetrator, as an Asian American in that, you know, we historically have not done a very good job of, of being a good bridge 
And I think a part of that is tied to kind of the shame and honor culture that we live in. You know, honestly, here's the thing that I'm not hearing from a lot of Asian Americans. And I think it's because of shame. And I think it's really hindering kingdom conversations. And that thing is, quite frankly, we are a people group in the United States who have taken advantage of other people groups to rise up in our culture and to become that quote unquote model minority. And we, I don't think Asian Americans have repented about that because that's something that's shameful. And that's something that we don't really want to admit. All the different shoe stores that we've opened up in the inner city so that you know we can then take money from one particular socioeconomic class and we can kind of rise up and, and, and move to those suburbs that have the nicer schools and the liquor stores and the cleaners and the restaurants and, and all these different things where we've, we've missed that opportunity to be a bridge. And, and I think that's really preventing us from having some really serious and fruitful kingdom conversations with other minority groups, because we're not willing to, to confess that, you know? Yeah. Like I, I think of my, my family, you know, my mom had ran a cleaners in Oak Lawn for probably about 10 years. And Oak Lawn at that time in the early nineties was a largely African-American and Hispanic town. And my parents stepped into that place, took funds and moved us farther up North, you know, uh, so that we can go to, to better schools. I feel ashamed of that. I mean, I'm grateful to my parents, but there is also, quite frankly, um, a shame that, that comes with that. And that's something, that's a hard conversation to have with brothers and sisters uh, who come from, from that culture. And, uh, and that really prevents me from really lamenting with them so yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if that's, that's too abstract of, of an answer for a drawback, but man, like that shame culture is just, it's, it's so, just so poisonous. Yeah. And I think that's really helpful for us to think about that because, you know, as you said, uh, I think John, you said this, you know, it, you know, we, we kind of normalize our experience and we don't, we don't then question or uh, really dig deeper into some of these things that really impact our our faith, and so like you're saying, James, certainly like we need to we need to dig into it a little bit more and explore, you know, as as a church, but then also personally, you know, our identity and those issues of shame, and and how that impacts our faith, and and then having conversations with other brothers and sisters who are who are not, you know ethnically Asian uh, and being able to have those conversations where our blind spots can be revealed is so yeah. important. And that's why this conversation about partnerships is so important, right? Um, mm -hmm. Because not only is it, not only do we push forward in the mission of the gospel and the advance of the church, but, but as you said, with the Colossians 128, we're presenting one another mature in Christ when we have these sort of conversations. And so, you know, I, I guess a question that I would add, have for you is how would you encourage other Chinese churches to partner well with other churches that aren't ethnically Chinese? Yeah, I think um, John and I have had some of these conversations around um, a bonfire in my backyard. So, you know, there's 
every person has values and every person has expressions of those values, right? So, um, for example, in the Korean church, right, there's a value of prayer and not just any type of prayer, but specifically like one voice prayer where everybody prays out loud together. And, and that really throws a lot of people off. You know, it, it is a biblical model comes from, you know, the book of Acts and it's not something that's cultural. So, you know, w- when you look at that specific thing that the Korean church does, there's the expression, which is one voice prayer, but there are actually two values that are being expressed in that one single expression. One value is obviously like a high, high value of faith and it's, ex- you know, um, and, and interacting with God through prayer. That's, that's a really high value, but also on top of that, Another value that that style of prayer is really expressing is the value of community. When you pray together in one loud voice, when people do it for the first time and are unaware of that value of community through that expression, they get really distracted and say, I can't pray because all I'm hearing are people next to me and, you know, shouting and screaming and it's just chaos. But when you really understand that value, uh, that value of community through the expression of one voice prayer, then people start to understand they they interpret um, that experience very differently. So instead of being really distracted when they understand that it's communal, they understand that when everybody prays in one voice, what we're doing is we as a people group are coming to the Lord together, right? And, And that's really impactful. And so there are expressions and there are values, right? I think so many times in partnerships, people just focus on expressions and, Hmm. Hey, you know, what are the things that we can do together? We can play games. We can sing songs of worship. We can then incorporate a message. And, and these are all expressions, right? What really kind of stymies partnership is when you only plan and come together around expressions, Hmm. because then like, you know, um, in, in, in the Anglo church, in Anglo youth ministry, they have a very high, very common expression of playing games, right? Like, I, I can't tell you, like, you know, when, when my Asian uh, kids go to like a largely Anglo youth group, they always come away and they say the same thing, which is, man, they play a lot of games. You know what <laughs> I mean? And, you know, that's because the kids are only processing through this lens of expressions, what they're failing to do is going even deeper and understanding the value of what these games are trying to uh, express, which is community. And if you understand that games are developing community, one voice prayer is developing community, you actually have the same value just expressed in different ways. And so when you only deal with expressions you start to think of, okay, there's one way of doing ministry. There's one way of building community, and that's one voice prayer. There's one way of preaching, and that's a person, you know, on the podium for 35 minutes, you know, uh, expository preaching. There's, and so, like, you start to kind of get this tunnel vision of how the kingdom really works, right? Hmm. So, uh, all you process is, okay, there's the way of doing ministry, but when you start to deepen that conversation beyond expression and into the value system, then you, you shift from thinking of there's the way of doing ministry to there's a way of doing ministry. Hmm. 
And so suddenly when you start to think of values, games become as important as one voice prayer. Most Asian youth pastors are going to be like, no, no, no. Prayer is way more important <laughs> than games, right? Like games for most Asian youth groups, what the value that we're trying to express through great through games is welcoming people in, right? Like we want to kind of provide an on-ramp for people. We don't see that as like strong community builders, right? Uh, we'll, you know, we'll see like, I don't know, like study sessions or like <laughs> Bible studies as stronger community builders, right? And so then like, you know, when, when I interact with, with you know, an, an Anglo youth group, and they want to do an hour and a half of games and then 30 minutes of, of Bible study. Like if I were only dealing on the expression level, I'd be really uncomfortable with that. I would only think of that as, boy, that's a waste of time. You know what I mean? But if I start to think on the value level, then there's meaning, right? The, um, there's purpose to the games. And, and I'm actually fed through the games as, as I see my youth interacting with other people. And, and I think that's just so important when uh, churches want to start partnering together is that they start on the value level, not on the expression level. I think that's where John and I really were lucky to, to um, really come together because, you know, John's youth group um, at that time was very different than my youth group, right? And um, we had very different calendars, very different ways of doing youth ministry, but we can come together around these values and then think of maybe new expressions together. And when you start to think of new expressions of certain values, that's when you achieve, you know, kind of going back to this whole wellspring model, that's when you really have two cultures coming together and developing a whole new culture, not one culture kind of dominating the other culture. And so I'm not sure if that, that all made sense there. That made tremendous sense, James. And, you know, I just love hearing you talk about just the difference between values and expressions, because I think you're giving us language, giving our listeners language for things that we have experienced. And I think in some ways have had to go through the hard work of figuring that out. So thank you for sharing that with us, you know, and, and like, like you just said, some of the most beautiful moments is watching new expressions come out of shared values, not just between sure. our youth groups, but I think between lots of different ministries in our areas. And, you know, that's the hope for, for the, for the church and not just for the ethnic church, right? Like the Chinese heritage church, but for the, the kingdom is that we would mm -hmm. be developing these new expressions of what it looks like to follow Jesus and to be kingdom minded out of the similar values that flow out of, who we are as the people of God. So thank you for sharing that with us. You know, we're, we're going to wrap up now because we've been talking for quite a while and I know <laughs> it's getting late, but we like to, we like to close our podcast asking the same question to all our guests, which is, you know, what is just one piece of advice or encouragement that you would give to someone that is currently serving in the Chinese heritage church? I think the value of perseverance uh, and long-term ministry, particularly uh, when it comes, you know, naturally my, my brain always kind of processes things through youth ministry, uh, through the youth ministry lens. And so what would I say to a youth pastor serving at, at a Chinese heritage church, man, the grass is not greener on the other side. It always looks greener, but it's, it's really not. And, um, there are so, 
so many blessings and uh, really deep and thorough heart work that the Lord does when there's stability. Yeah, I, you know, um, Eugene Peterson, um, I'm reading a book on uh, of his on vocational holiness, and, and he talks about the threat of careerism in the church, where you're just constantly kind of trying to climb that career ladder. And we take this worldly model of, of vocation, and we put it on a holy thing like the church. And so suddenly people are constantly like, okay, you know, youth pastor to associate pastor to senior pastor to working for the denomination to, you know, uh, being a celebrity pastor. I don't know, whatever that, that, that is. Eugene Peterson really highlights like the danger and um, how quick it, it both affects the congregation and the pastor uh, when careerism kind of steps in and man, I, I know it's, it's, it's hard to serve in the immigrant church. It's hard, especially as a youth pastor, you're dealing with parents, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know why the youth pastor gets a phone call when a kid gets a C in class, you know what I mean? Like the youth pastor has to figure that out for some reason, or if they found like a pack of cigarettes, like it's suddenly it's, you know, it's, it's on the youth pastor. Um, and it, it can be a really difficult thing, but, um, but boy, there, there are just such blessings that come out of stability. And so my single piece of advice is don't, don't fall into careerism, you know, yeah, unless the Lord calls you stay there, there's something really humbling about being in the same place and trusting the Lord because charisma and passion can get you to rise up really quick, but it's humility and conviction that helps you go the long game. And, and that's, I think, the calling that the Lord puts on, on the pastoral position is to lead out a conviction calling. Don't lean on your abilities and your charisma and your past successes, you know? So. Yeah, that's a great word, James. Thanks for that encouragement. And thank you for uh, your insight as well. Really appreciate your thoughts uh, on, on partnership and really the encouragement to seek out partnerships and really what that can yield for the kingdom and, and even for us as, as pastors. So thanks for joining us. It's good to have you on, James. Thanks for having me. That's the end of our episode. Thanks for joining us today on the Bamboo Pastors podcast. Make sure to subscribe to the pod on whatever platform you listen to us on. Rate and review us and check in every week as we explore the joys and challenges of ministry in the Chinese church. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Bamboo Pastors. See you next time.